Uh, the reading is from Luke 17, verses 20 to 27, and you can find it on page 1051 in the Pew Bibles. So that's Luke 17, verses 20 to 27, the coming of the kingdom of God. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, and be giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. To keep that passage open, and we're going to be looking at that as we continue our reading through Luke's Gospel in this term. Let's pray as we come to this passage. Father, thank you that in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, your kingdom was inaugurated. Thank you that that kingdom is amongst us today. And thank you that one day we will move from the now to the not yet. And the bride will run to their lover's arms. Help us this morning to see the implications of that in our own living, in our own discipleship. Amen. Amen. Are we nearly there yet? Uh, I wonder how often you've heard that, usually from a small voice from the back of the car, um, maybe anywhere between five minutes and five hours into the journey. Are we nearly there yet? It's a question which is very much a casual question, isn't it? It's not one which you, you're expected really to give an answer to. I want to say, well, it's 
Maybe, or whatever it might be. We don't sort of say, oh yes, well, you know, after we've done the next three turns and so on. And it's also a question which, in a sense, whoever asks it probably isn't really expecting too much of a, of a direct answer to. It's not expected to be impacting on the way they're thinking or anything like that. And I have a feeling it's that sort of question, are we nearly there yet? That the, um, the Pharisees who come to Jesus at the beginning of our reading are actually asking. They're not particularly wanting an answer. Or maybe they are wanting to catch Jesus out or whatever it might be. They're not particularly looking to ask the question for it to have an impact on their lives. They could have done for over 500 years. Their ancestors had lived in exile, whether literally in exile in Babylon or whether the years subsequently after they had returned into Israel and Palestine and that period when they were being ruled over by the, the, the Medes and the Persians and then a bit later on by the Greeks and now the Romans. So you can understand, in a sense, and wanting to ask the question, when's all this going to change? But I have a feeling they weren't that serious when they were asking the question. I think it was a sort of a casual question they were asking. Their theological understanding was that God would come in and intervene in a big way, throw, kick the Romans out, and they'd be fine. And so that question keeps coming up. It's there, isn't it, with the disciples, even after Jesus' death and resurrection. And we read in Acts chapter 1, and they come to him and say, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And we know where Jesus leads that on to and says, no, in a sense, you're the kingdom. You're going to live it out now. Behind that question, there's a desire for a program of events almost. This will happen, that will happen, then this will happen. It's a tick list almost to saying, aha, we're this close now because there's only these three events to go before Jesus comes again. That's almost what's being looked at. But it's just an academic question. It has no impact on the way in which people are living their lives. And that question isn't just something that's there in Jesus' time. We see it in our own too, don't we? And all the way down through church history, those people scouring the Bible and trying to join up the dots, saying this event here is what's there predicted in Scripture, and almost trying to give again that tick list to say when the kingdom will be realized. But what's interesting if you look over church history is to see how the target for where the evil one is seems to change during those pictures and what actually is going to impact this coming again. Go back to the time of the Reformation, and it's Rome and the papacy. That's the, 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 the big scare. And that's really the sign that, yes, we're moving into the end times and Jesus is about to come. Move forward to the 1780s, and it's the Republican French who dominate in the way in which people are interpreting whether Jesus is about to come again. Go back to the 70s and 80s, and everything hinges on communism and what the wicked Russians are going to do and the wicked communists are going to do. If you go on to some of the so-called Timeline for Jesus Return websites today, they're littered with Islamophobia. All the way through as people have tried to do that because there isn't a timeline. 
and the date even when people have predicted it. Despite Jesus saying, you're never going to get to that, to saying, here it is or there it is. The timeline seems to change as time goes on. I can count on the number of fingers of no hands, those who've predicted the correct date. (laughs) Because it isn't there. That isn't what Jesus is talking about, about the kingdom coming and about his, his return. Yes, he is talking about himself coming back, but he's saying there isn't a tick list. It's something that's solely in God's hands. We can't predict it. The date of the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be calculated by observation, Jesus says to the people here. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom has come in the person of the Lord Jesus. Not only is it already here, but even Jesus, when he talks about Noah and Sodom a bit later on, is emphasizing the unexpectedness of the return of Jesus, the unexpectedness of it. All the way through his earthly ministries, we've read our way through Luke, we find Jesus connecting his ministry to the coming of the kingdom. It's there from the the birth announcements right at the start. And it's there later on through. As Jesus says, after somebody has been healed, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is near. God is at work. The outcasts are restored to community. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The lame walk and and the blind see. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The hungry are fed. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The rich and the mighty are challenged. The kingdom of God is in your midst. People like Zacchaeus and Levi have become followers of Jesus. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And Jesus says to all who see this and grasp it, That's a possible translation of in your midst. The kingdom has come. Yet all along, people like the Pharisees and others, down through the ages, are blind and deaf to this. Often deliberately so. No wonder Jesus says in his parables, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And they see the kingdom in their midst. But that does present us with a problem because if it is true, and it is, that the kingdom has come in the Lord Jesus and his ministry and is alive among those who have followed Jesus in subsequent generations, why is there still such a mess in the world? As we look around, we see injustices, don't we, perpetrated in almost every country you want to mention. You look in Iraq, you look in Syria, you look in Israel, you look in Palestine, you look in Myanmar, you look in Venezuela, you look in the USA, you look in the UK. You can just simply continue adding the names of those countries where we see injustices being perpetrated. When, Lord? When? 
because that's a different tone of voice of asking that question of when will the kingdom come? Imagine a lover standing on the railway platform waiting for their beloved's train to come in. When, Lord, when, when? It's a very different feel to the sort of nebulous, are we nearly there yet? It's that deep longing for everything to be wrapped up, for everything to be put right. For that time when the kingdom will come in all its fullness. And this passage gives us hope in our longing and those deep desires within us that injustices will be overcome, that those who perpetrated them will face proper judgment at God's hands, not ours. We long for that coming of his kingdom. Jesus knows it's going to be hard. He says the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man but you will not see it. There is that time of waiting, that time when we're living in the now and the not yet, when we begin to see Jesus' kingdom at work in people's lives, but we don't see it in all of its fullness. And yet that time will come. I know for all of us, I guess, here this morning, there are those times when we cry out, how long, Lord, how long? We read of the latest terrorist outrage. We hear racist taunts on a football match. We see the rich gain at the expense of the poor. We see what happens when we abuse the creation that God has given us to care for. How long, Lord? How long? That deep longing deep within for God to put it right and to make it right a time when the kingdom of the present and the kingdom of the future will coalesce when the Lord Jesus returns. It's right to long for the coming of the Son of Man. It's right to long for that time when everything's going to be wrapped up, for that day when the longing for the full character of the kingdom of God will come when justice, joy, peace, and so on will be dominant, will be over all and in all. And that time when the whole cosmos will be renewed in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Jesus promises here that that day will come. Yes, we wait, and yes, we long. But he says, when it does come, it's going to be obvious it's come. Like lightning stretched from one end of the sky to the other. He's not talking about the suddenness here. He's talking about the visibility. That lightning just across everywhere will just light up everything. So there will be no mistake when the Lord returns. We won't miss it by accident or anything like that. We won't have an option because it will be visible everywhere. There will be false dawns, or at least false people who will come and say, I'm the one, follow me. I'm the one, follow me. Despite the notorious news headlines they may get, despite those who are coerced into following them, it's not something which is global and unmissable. 
when people come along and say that they are the Messiah. This day of the coming of the Son of Man, surely it's one that for all of us who are followers of Jesus, we long for. We long for that time when we will actually see everything in its fullness in Christ. When we will see an end to the rubbish that's around us. And everything will be filled with the wonderful light of his presence. It's a day we need to be prepared for. Not because we've ticked off something on a tick list somewhere and said, oh, that event's happened, that one's happened, and that one's happened. But because we are already living out the kingdom. That's the challenge this morning, I think Jesus places here, or one of them. Are we ready for the coming kingdom, for him, his return? Because we are already living it. We are already living out kingdom values in our lives. We're already praying for all of the impact of the, of, the, of the coming kingdom to be seen around us. Yes, we live in hostile territory, but we're called to live out the kingdom in that territory. So Jesus calls his disciples here to live in the light of his coming to live in the light of that day when all will be restored. But his challenge is not, are we ready for it in terms of having got rid of all sin, although you know, hopefully we're working on that, but we'll never achieve that. But are we trying as hard as we can with God's help to be living out his kingdom values? How do we react when somebody's rude to us? How do we react when somebody cuts us up on the motorway? How do we react to a news headline? Are we willing to react in God's way to that. Things will go on as they are until he comes in its unexpected way. But I think he's calling us to live in the light of his coming and part of that is living loose to this world. Yes, we're engaged in it because it's part of what God has given us, but living loose to it so that we aren't preoccupied with the things of this world, but we are preoccupied with the things that Jesus calls us to as we live out his kingdom. So in some places in Scripture, the, the imagery that we have in, in our reading of Noah and of Sodom are all to do with the evil that was going on at the time. But actually, that isn't how Jesus uses it here. Because if you look at what they're doing, they're marrying, they're planting crops, they're having meals, they're going to the market, they're putting up buildings. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But it seems that the people of the time were so engrossed with those things that they were missing what God was calling them to and what God was wanting them to do. They had no space or time to consider the call of God on their lives. It's the same in the challenge about not going back for possessions from the person on the rooftop. That we live loose to this world, that we don't become so preoccupied with this world that we lose sight of the kingdom that we're part of and that we're called to live out. 
Earlier in the gospel, Jesus has challenged his disciples not to become obsessed with where we are to live. And he talks, doesn't he, about foxes having holes and birds having nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He challenges not to cling to family. Who are my brothers and my, my sisters and my mother? They're my family here, my disciples who are following me living loose to some of those family ties. We're challenged not to become consumed by consumerism. Look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, Jesus says. And then the real challenge here, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it with its echoes of that self-denial when Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me. So we're called to have our focus on the work of the kingdom, to be living out God's call on our lives, not to become preoccupied with everything that's going on around, not becoming preoccupied with our possessions, however good those things might be. To live loose to those world standards, but to free ourselves, that we find our reliance is on God, that our focus is on God and his standards. Because when we do this, we will definitely be living out kingdom life, that God is king over all that we do. When we live this way, we live out the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Living in this way, we will demonstrate kingdom values to the world around us. When others look at the church, do they see the kingdom of God? Or do they see a bunch of people who turn up on a Sunday and then go off and are no different to everybody else during the rest of the week? When people look at the church, do they see the kingdom of God? Or do they see those who will squabble and argue over petty things? When people look at the church, do they see the kingdom of God? We're called to be ready for the Lord's return as we live out the kingdom in our own lives. Jesus is always telling us, it seems to me, in other parables, to be prepared for his return. Prepared not because we're going down the tick list, but prepared because we are living out our lives in the way that he wants us to and asks us to, so that we exhibit the kingdom. But Jesus has something else to say to us here as well. Maybe it's a challenge to some of us here this morning. Maybe it's a challenge for one of our friends. When Jesus returns, there are going to be elements of continuity and of discontinuity between this world and the renewed world that's coming. To Peter and, and the end of Revelation speak of this in particular. And one element of that discontinuity is that in the completed kingdom, there will no longer be sin. There will be no longer those who permanently rebel against God. There will be a division. 
at that point. Jesus doesn't mince his words when he says, one will be taken and another left. Now forget the fiction of the left behind novels. They are just that fiction. That isn't what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when he does return, there will be a segregation between those who have accepted his love and are following him and those who have rejected him. It's a hard saying, but it needs to be balanced with all the other things that he has in his teaching when he talks about the mercy and grace of God that's there to save us and to bring us in to that everlasting kingdom. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 says that one of the reasons why there has been a delay in the Lord's coming is to give time for repentance. But there will be a time when Jesus will come and that time for repentance will be over. And we're called to live out the kingdom now that others also will recognize it and be brought into it. I don't think it's any accident that right at the heart of the teaching here this morning we find a reiteration from Jesus of the path that he is currently on the way to Jerusalem. And he says that he will suffer many things and be rejected. See, even when Jesus speaks openly of judgment that is to come, he speaks openly of the grace and mercy that is found in the cross and the resurrection and the ability for us to come into that kingdom for all eternity. All he asks us to do is to take hold of the mercy he offers and then to seek to model our lives on him. This is not cheap grace. Its cost was the cross for God himself in place of you and me. What does that mean for us this morning? Or maybe you are one of those who is currently rejecting Jesus and his ways. Jesus pleads that you hear his offer of mercy, that you come and receive the grace that he offers, that you grasp the kingdom. Maybe you're somebody who's started to follow Jesus, but you've got bogged down in the affairs, however good in themselves, of this world, and you've lost your focus. Come back this morning to focus on him and to have him as king in your own lives as you walk in his kingdom. Maybe you are one who is crying out this morning, how long, Lord, how long? Whatever that is in your own life, be assured of Jesus' promise that he will be with us during these times and that one day he will come. And all of this will be wrapped up and gone. I think it's it's fascinating that the the times when some of these passages of Jesus coming again have spoken most powerfully into the church have been the times when they've been undergoing the greatest persecution. It's tough, it's hard, but there's that living hope of Jesus' return. 
And that will be true for you too. Do you have friends who are outside of the kingdom? Let's sensitively talk to them. Let's display what the kingdom looks like to them, that they they too may be drawn into it. Our next song is a song of offering ourselves back to God. So as we, as as Tom and, and, and the others lead us in this, if you do want prayer, because some of this is, you know where you are with this yourself, and you need prayer for it, and do come, and I and one or two of the others will just be over here to, to pray for you.